Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Hello, if this is your first time here, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor at the church, and wow, Chip, did you have to pick those songs? I mean, like, I'm never going to last through the next service. I'll just, my voice will be gone completely. Good to see you, and we are in a series on the book of Ruth. And uh, man, I tell you, I realized this week that as I work with uh, my preachers in training, and, and uh, we have what I call a pit crew, that this book of the Bible is the easiest book in the Bible to preach. It absolutely is. It is the most illustrated book. It, uh, if you've been reading along with us, yeah, we've been reading every chapter in church each Sunday. And I haven't heard any complaints yet. Nobody's said, man, you know, I'm just tired of reading the Bible. And I'm fed up with this place, you know. So uh, Ruth is, is just chock full. We've learned a lot. We started with a big tragedy uh, with her, with uh, Boaz, and, or excuse me, with Limelech and uh, Naomi. And then our two sons, Malon and Kilion, dying. And then the two widows from the marriage, the Moabite women. Uh, and then uh, Naomi, a widow too. Three widows without any men in this culture in a foreign place just was a bad situation. Naomi decides she wants to go back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. There was no bread there for a while. There was a famine. And so Elimelech took his family, went back to Moab to try to get some food. And uh, in the process, we found out what happened about 30 miles from uh, where she was in Moab to Bethlehem, made it back. Uh, Ruth and Naomi made it back. And we find them in Bethlehem and Ruth is working the fields as hard as she can, trying to get some food for her and her mother-in-law. And has there ever been a more beautiful picture than Ruth's commitment to Naomi? I mean, here's... Do you have mother-in-laws? I mean, seriously? Uh, And, uh, you know, my mother-in-law hated me for about a year. (laughs) Probably. It was longer than that, wasn't it, honey? Probably, yeah, a little longer than a year. But uh, she did not want her darling daughter being taken away by the such as the kinds of myself. And, uh, and, but you know what? I wore her down, and, and it didn't take long till we were best buds, and I would do anything in the world for her, and we miss her. And, uh, and so Ruth had this, and I believe it was dropped in her heart by God, to, as we're going to see. Uh, there was a lot at stake in this story, more than we realize when we first start out on the journey. Today we're in the third chapter. So if you have your Bible, your app, and you want to flip over, we'll take a look at it. We're going to read through it again on the screens. And again, I want to invite you to read with me if you want to, or just under your breath or read it out loud. Read the scripture. We'll read through the whole third chapter. If you flip your hand out over, if you're new here, you'll see that there's a fill-in on the back. And uh, you can track along. The scriptures are there. There's even questions for you to take with you when you go to lunch afterwards so you can talk about it, unpack it, try to get the most from it. So, uh, hey, let's read this and then I'll pray and we'll jump right into it. Here we go. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. 
He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Father, bless the reading of your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, for these amazing narratives and stories and of how you've worked in people's lives. And uh, we thank you for this story. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and, and in my weakness, somehow, Lord, you would bring to the forefront of our hearts, Lord, what you want to say to us. And... Lord, I, I do pray for the gift of teaching for the next few minutes that you help me. And, and Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Thank you for being here in our midst, not just within us as followers of Jesus. But Lord, you do drop in on us and you are over us. And sometimes you visit us in very special ways that we remember forever. And we pray for those moments even today. I breathe life on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a story, huh? Could you hear the violins playing in the background? I mean, you know, I mean, she, she comes in, she uncovers his feet, and it's just, ah, oh, why hasn't someone made a really good movie out of this story? I just don't get it. You know, it's, it's a beautiful story. Well, there are a few things I think we can see in this a lot, actually, and we can't cover it all, but we're going to cover three of them this morning. And the first one is this. I want you to notice in the very first verse, the first three words. One day Ruth, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. This, as far as I know, this is the first time we're seeing Naomi step out of her depression and her sadness and to be able to think about someone else. And I'm calling this today, when the time is right, and your first feeling is this, take time to heal. Take time to heal. 
Naomi was hurt, broken. She's going through grief. She has lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She has had to walk 30 miles with her daughter-in-law, come back to the town where everybody knows her. Bethlehem's a very small town. And they have no distractions other than to know everything about everybody. And so uh, they know, they evidently like her. The people do. We don't get any sense that the town is not happy to see her come back and be a part of this. But as we've seen, Naomi has, she doesn't even acknowledge Ruth's commitment. She doesn't say, isn't this wonderful that my daughter-in-law is sticking it out with me after all this loss? Not one word. And you know, when we're in grief, when we're going through loss, it's, there's no, let me say this, it's normal. It's even healthy that a lot of our world gets fogged out when we're going through grief. And we don't see things around us as clearly as maybe we should. And I think Naomi is an example of this. She was destitute. She didn't know what was going to happen to her. She had no idea as far as she knew she would end up starving to death, being abandoned or whatever. And just the, the grief of losing a husband and two sons... And having to move. If you go through any kind of a depression scale or a loss scale or any type of inventory, look at that. Naomi's got it going on. I mean, the woman actually deserves, right, to be a little down, don't you think? She does. And I think it's a, it's a good time for us to slow down and go, we don't need to expect from ourselves or other people too much during times of deep loss and grief. That it takes time to come back around. It takes time to heal. And uh, the beauty of this moment is this third chapter begins with Naomi going, Oh yeah, I've got this wonderful daughter-in-law who needs to be taken care of. It's not just about me. It's about her too. And she owns that. She says, I've got to find you a place. And in the Hebrew, it's uh, the place, uh, a home for you is, it, it means a tranquil place of happiness. I have to find this place where the stress won't be so great on you. She is now thinking about someone else. And that's the first step out, isn't it, of our grief and, and uh, our depression is suddenly things lift enough that we notice other people. And we notice that other people have needs and are going through things. And that is kind of a prompting, I think, from from God for us to step in because that's our way of stepping out. When we step in to help someone else, we're stepping out of our own dilemma and into someone else's. And something really changes. I mean, honestly, you read about this and the, the chemicals in your brain change. The way you think, the way you process life, it starts this chain reaction of good things good chemicals in your brain and suddenly your things lighten up on you as you reach toward others uh, but it's very easy to be myopic when we're going through loss and uh, it's like God gives plenty of time for us to do that and so I was praying about this this morning and yesterday I thought you know probably there's some of you in here you're at that point you've been at a place where you just, you, you, don't, you know, you bog down. You kind of stop in life. You feel like it's stopped. Life has stopped. And, and, uh, and maybe this morning is now, is now your moment. Where suddenly the Holy Spirit is going to drop into your heart someone else and say to you, you know that family member or that friend that's going through so much, that person that needs, has a need, 
uh, if that slides past your mind, past your heart this morning, could that be God going, hey, now is your time. Now is your time to step out of that. Step out of that low point and step up on the ledge where you can see others and begin to join them where they are and help them like Ruth has helped you. Like she has been there for you. That's a beautiful thing when the fog clears and, and uh, you might wonder how I know all these things. <laughs> it's not because I've just read about them. <laughs> yeah, I know what the fog is like and, and how you want to... You want to get out, but you can't get out. And then all of a sudden it does. You get views and you get this scene of clarity where you think there is a life. And there's life going on and it's moving along. And now I've got an invitation to step into it. And it looks like a small step, but it's huge. It's huge. Uh, Job, of course... You know, is, is our prime example, right, of somebody who really gets it. I mean, when you say, my life is like Job, you need to read Job first, okay? <laughs> I mean, I know we all want to claim Job, but you need to read the book. I mean, honestly, and not just the end of it, okay? Not just the first and the end. Read in the middle. And uh, because, if, you know, Job is at the point, and he's a good man, right? And Job says in uh, Job 17, 1 through 16, he says, my spirit is broken, My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. Listen to this. God has made me a byword to everyone. A man in whose face people spit. Ever felt like a byword? Like, you know, I'm I'm inconsequential. I mean, God cares, does not care about me. I'm just a byword. A passing comment. Something that means nothing to no one. That's the way Job felt in the middle of all of his grief, in the middle of losing family and property and his health. All of it, one after the other after the other. And now his wonderful great friends show up. And the only thing they did right was they didn't open their mouths for a few days. That's the only thing they did right through the whole process, right? Because people need space when they're hurting. They don't need people giving them right then counsel. They need someone with them. You sit with them and you, you're, you're there. You are there in person but you're not there with, you should do this. Oh, what, what sin did you do? You know, because that's not helping in those moments at all. Not at all. But listen what happens. We get down to Job uh, 42. And here's what we read. After Job had prayed for his friends, what? The Lord restored. When Job, from God's direction, stepped out of that funk, out of that place, when the fog lifted... And he prayed for the ones who were accusing him. Job was restored. There's something very powerful about this moment in healing and taking the time to heal. And recognizing that moment too. Recognizing that the fog's cleared just enough for you to step out and do something for someone else. Because that's an invitation out of it. And um, that's what we're watching in Naomi. And I want to say to you this morning. If that's you and you like, I felt that recently. I've been so down and I've suffered so much loss. But in the last few days, I've been people's names and I've seen people and thought about people. That could be God saying to you, all right, now's the time to step up. Now, now is the moment. And so you take advantage of that little small amount of energy that you have that comes to you after that depression, after that loss, and you step into it. And out of that, God begins to make things move. You get this? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? 
And it's not always that easy to step up and do something at that time. But if God shows you something, this we know around the vineyard, right? The way we recognize what to do and how to follow God is we look for what He's already doing. We don't have to create it. We have to see what the Father is doing and step into it with Him. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't think, oh, I think I'll heal somebody today. No, He didn't do that, you know. Whatever He saw the Father doing, He stopped and He did. And if the Father is doing that in you, you stop and you step into it right now. And in that will come more life for you and for them at the same time. So, Father, right now, anyone in here who has gone through terrible loss or grieving or they just cannot find their way out of this fog, I pray even now, through your grace and your mercy, that you do indeed allow enough time to heal, to mourn. But, Lord, a recovery moment would come when our eyes open and we see that we could help someone else and that we can be there for someone else. So bring names and faces uh, to our hearts, to our minds today, Lord. And thank you for that. We have enough energy and we have enough gumption, Lord, to follow up on it. So, Lord, thank you for your healing. Thank you that you are ever patient and loving and kind to give us time, Lord. And thank you that we're never out of the race. You heal, you bring us back, and you let us contribute to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, come and do it now, Lord. Do it now. Amen. Amen. Jesus said these wonderful words in John 16, 20. He said, you will grieve. Nobody claims that, right? I will grieve. Okay, yeah. You, know. you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And no one will take your joy away. Now, I know he's talking about his death and the disciples mourning that. But listen, that's what we lean into when we hit these moments in our lives. We watch Jesus go to the garden. We watch the grief of the disciples running for cover, denying, doing everything they can. But then we look at Pentecost, right? We look at Pentecost and we see these same people in the streets preaching the good news of Jesus. What in the world happened? The joy of God hit their lives. From that depression, maybe 40 days or so, 50 days before, until now they are on fire for God. And the joy was never taken from those guys. As you read through the scriptures, they maintained a level of joy in their life that was amazing. So we will grieve. And we can grieve well. And it's healthy to grieve. But there is a time when it clears. So thank God for the time to heal. And thank you, Naomi, for an example. Sorry you had to go through that, but we're, we're glad we're, we're here. All right? Okay, your second one is this. Notice what happens with Ruth. In Ruth 3, 5, her mother-in-law is a wise lady. She knows romance, and she knows the customs of her culture as well. Now remember, Ruth is a Moabite. She may have known her culture and how you handle this, but she didn't know the culture in Bethlehem. She didn't know how to handle this thing with a man that she's attracted to and who has been kind to her. She doesn't know how to deal with this. But it says, after, after Naomi gives her these instructions, it, she says, I will do whatever you say. Then it goes, so she went. So not only do we take time to heal, but we need to take time to listen and act on good counsel. To listen and act on good counsel. This is what 
Ruth is teaching us at the time. Ruth has been the strong one. Ruth has been making the money. She has been taking care. She's been working hard every day. But now, as Naomi comes out of that funk, that wisdom that's deep within her begins to flood because she begins to see that something wonderful is happening. And uh, I don't know how many times... I'm kind of a get counsel junkie. I probably get too much, but because I'm always, I need more counsel. I need to talk to more people, more people, more people. And then I look for a theme a lot of times, whatever my heart's leaning toward, plus what the theme is that comes through the people that I trust, right? And then you can get a fair, you can get a pretty good idea of what God's up to and how, how to respond, you know. But I am amazed at how many people ask for counsel but never do it. I had a situation not too long ago where someone, this not in this church, this is another situation somewhere else, where someone had called two other pastors and had asked for input. They were told a certain thing, and then they called me. And, uh, and this is the exact words. I will do whatever you say, Tim. Whatever you say. I said, give me six hours. Let me pray. Let me think. So I hung up the phone. I prayed. I read my scripture. Went through everything. Called them back. I said, here, this is what you should do. And they said, that's the same thing the other two told me to do. <laughs> you know what they did? The opposite. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. And it, the situation was horrible. Horrible. And Ruth is like, imagine it would be so easy for Ruth to go, man, you have been depressed. I have been working my butt off from day one. And now you're telling me what to do? I don't think so. I think I know better than you. But that's not what she does. She says, I'll listen to you. And I will do exactly what you say. And, uh, you know, this is, this is such a cute story, isn't it? I mean, he, she tells her to wash, to perfume, and, and to clothe. And the NIV gets it a little wrong again here uh, when it says dress in your best clothes. It's not like she's getting very alluring or anything. That's not what's going on here. If you read over in Samuel... Second Samuel, David, when he was caught in his sin with Bathsheba and his son that was born to him when he was sick and about to die, David fasted those seven days and wouldn't eat. And uh, once he died, it says David got up, took a bath, put on lotions, and uh, dressed. It's a way of saying, I'm coming out of my mourning. That's what it is. It's a cultural thing in Israel during this period of time that Uh, Naomi is saying to Ruth, let him know you're available. New school. (laughs) It's so sweet. You know, communicate to him that you're no longer the grieving widow, but you're available to marry. And, And it's almost like her asking him to marry her is what it's like. Now, this, there's, there is, there's no sexual encounter involved in this, but we would be lying or trying to, to say something that's not if we didn't say within this story there is, the threshing floor is getting a little hot. You know, it, that, that is in the story. I mean, you can't read this and we Christian people sanitize this thing to the point of, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's getting a little warm in here, you know, in the, in the threshing floor. And, uh, but there is nothing, nothing unduly happens. But the communication is there. That Boaz, Boaz, a man of integrity, a man of strength, as his name means, a man of strength, and the woman of strength, Ruth, we would make a good couple. And I'm, I'm over my husband now, his death. I've mourned it long enough. 
And boy, I'd love to be your husband. That's what she is saying to him. And uh, see, Naomi, these older ladies, you young ladies, you need to talk to your mother-in-laws and your moms and your grandmoms. And they do a few things. They've been around. And uh, you, you just don't need to rush into things. Get some good counsel. Uh, you know, um, Proverbs 12, 15. Let me give you just a few scriptures here. Uh, Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them. It looked right to me, <laughs> you know. But the wise listen to advice. The wise listen to advice. And then in Proverbs 13, 20, we read, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Humble yourself. Ask, what would you do? What would you do? This is where I am. And this is not just in your uh, relational life, but this is in any area of life. If you know someone who has walked before you, and you know someone who has a track record in this, why wouldn't you want to know what they have to say? And that's part of God helping us along and getting advice. And, and uh, you know, what I love about our church is we've got such a span of ages here. And uh, now we're, I'm we're brainstorming with some of our folks now on how can we get uh, some of our more wise, uh, aged, like great wine, you know, people. And we can put them with the fresh out of the bat, uh, you know, vat uh, people and try to get together so that, you know, youth has energy and ex- expectation and clarity of life. And those of us who are older, we've got some scars. We've been through some things. We've learned some things the hard ways. Why wouldn't we want to work together? To help each other and to to be there for one another and have that energy from the younger ones and have the wisdom from the older ones and see what God wants to do in our church and help one another. Why would we want to do that? And so uh, you take time to get counsel. Now things could have gone really bad. So anytime you make a decision and when you get counsel, it doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for failure. What could have gone wrong in this? Yes, a lot could have, you you are absolutely right. A lot could have gone wrong. So Ruth is putting herself out there. She really is because, I mean, it's the threshing floor is dark. He goes over in the corner. He lays down to sleep. She slips in, pulls up the edge, which is a signal of, I want to be under your covering. I've been under my husband who is dead. God has been taking care of me. Now I want to be covered by you. Just the edge of the garment over the edge of her. And she lays down, and he's startled. He's not fearful. This guy doesn't get scared. And uh, he, he's, not, he's startled. He's like, it's dark. Who's in here? He can't see who it is. And, and she goes, Ruth, your servant. It's your servant, Ruth. And uh, kinsman, redeemer, we've talked about. It's the next person in line in the family who takes care of the widows. Or the widow, that's how Israel took care of their families of... of uh, you know, like if something happened to me, I was there. Then my sons or someone would come along and take the rest of the family and take the property and to keep the property, which we'll get to next week, things uh, together. So the family unit can stay intact, which was very important in Israel. And so he's a kinsman redeemer. He's kin to Elimelech, not Ruth, but Elimelech, right? And so uh, they, uh, Naomi knows that. And so... Here's this connection for someone who can clear up everything. So you got romance and you also got the solution. You have the solution to this huge problem. 
of how are these two widows going to be taken care of. And you've got two people who respect each other. And who love each other and respect each other. And, uh, and so it's, but things could go wrong. One thing, he could wake up and go, ah, you know, call the guards. There's a prostitute in my room, you know, trying to hurt my reputation because he had a great reputation. He could have thrown her out and said, Moabite, you know, wench out, you know, and, and uh, just had her locked up or killed or stoned. He could have made fun of her. There's all kind of things that could have gone wrong. So she's trusting her mother-in-law's wisdom at this moment and putting herself on the line. Throw her out, uh, take advantage of her. He could just take advantage like we think maybe some of the workers had tried in the field over in the first chapter. Uh, That could have happened, but it did not happen. You get counsel. You find out what's the right thing to do. And you know what? Every moment in our lives, every crucial big moment that we, when we get ready to make a big decision should be preceded with wonderful counsel for mothers. We should never make a huge decision without counsel from those who know us, who care about us, and have a little wisdom in their life. We should never make a big decision. And of course, this was huge, and Ruth put herself on the line for it. So, take time to heal, take time to get a wise counsel, and do it. Not just, well, that's a good idea, and then go back to doing what you want to do. Follow through on it if it's wise, if it's good counsel. Uh, not only do people don't ask, they don't ask for help much these days. When they get it, if they don't like it, they don't follow through. I mean, why do we do this to ourselves? You know, we keep going around the block kicking ourselves the whole time. And, and when there's help for us, especially in God's house, I feel like. Your third one here is this. Look what happens. They're in a dark room. There's nobody around that sees them. There is obvious attraction going on. But nothing sexual happens. And this is take time to maintain your integrity. Take time to maintain your integrity. Something could have gone on on that threshing floor that no one would have ever known. You think? Except it's in the Bible now. Imagine. It's written down for all ages. The response. Take time when there's pressure, when you're in the moment. Take time to maintain. Put some boundaries up. Look what happened with with Boaz. The first words out of his mouth when he knows it's her. What does he say? The Lord bless you. What's he doing? Bringing God into it. Bringing God into that moment right then. It's getting hot on the threshing floor. Getting hot on the threshing floor. But what do you do? The Lord. You bring the Lord first up into that relationship right at that moment to remind the other party there's much more going on here than what we feel. This attraction. There is much on the line here. Make the Lord a part of it. Um, Boaz says, God bless you, my daughter. You know, there he is again. God bless you. He brings God into it. And... um, he wants to marry her, but he's such a man of integrity. He goes, there's someone closer than I am in kin to you to deal with this situation. And he is such a man. He wants to do it right. He doesn't want to take any shortcuts. So much so that he goes, I will go to him. And if he wants to redeem you, then it will be good. In other words, you're going to be taken care of no matter what. What does he care about? Her. 
He cares about doing the right thing, even if it will cost him. He keeps his integrity intact. He does what's right. And I love it when he says it will be good. Whichever way it goes, you're going to be redeemed. Imagine stuffing his own emotions down in that moment to do what is right. And you have to think through those things. You know, you think through before you respond. And what does he say about uh, Ruth? He says, you know, you've got a great reputation in Bethlehem. Everybody talks about you. That's what he says right there. Maintain yours too, Ruth. Let's maintain our reputations through the middle in the midst of all of this. And let's see what God does. Let's find out what happens. Uh, And he gives her like an engagement ring. I know it's not sexy. It's a bunch of barley. I know, you know, whatever. I know what kind of engagement ring you gave your if you're married, you know. But uh, you know, he's like, hey, come here, let me give you some more seed, you know. And he put so much, he has to lift it up, put it on her back, you know. There you go. Hope we're engaged, you know. And she heads off. And but you know what he says? Do you get what he says? He says you should not go home. What? Empty-handed. When's the last time we heard the word empty in this story? It was Naomi when she came into Bethlehem and she said, don't call me full because I am empty. Remember that when she came in? Because her name meant pleasant, Naomi, and full of life. And then she says, no, I'm empty. Well, what Boaz is saying, and what the story is saying is, Naomi, your days of emptiness are over. That's what that's saying to her. What a man of integrity. What a woman of integrity to walk through this and bring hope to everyone doing everything they can. Now, as we call, bring this to a close, I want to say that uh, we start right where we are today. And if you're in that spot, like we prayed a moment ago, where you're coming out of that fog and you're starting to see others, then, uh, man, make that step today. And secondly, if you're at that moment of big decision, get counsel, pray with someone. And third, think about where you are and how you're responding. Don't worry about the past. All we have is right now. This is the moment. We start anew right now. Whatever we've done in the past, Jesus' blood covers us, forgives us. We're still alive. We're right here. We're ready to make our run. We're ready to make our walk. And so we start now. Commit yourself to start that life today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. And Jesus, I thank you for you because, Lord, you were faithful right through it all. Lord, you had a vision and you, were, you had integrity through it all. You told the truth. You were never rushed and hurried, but you were never stopped from getting anything done. Lord, you stuck to your guns all the way through it for us. And today, Lord, we stand able to be able to receive the blessings of your commitment. And so if there's anyone here today, you have not started your journey with Jesus Christ. I believe you know God is pulling in your heart, pulling and wooing you to come on and follow. Come on and join the rest of us as we, as we kind of run after Jesus, trying to catch up with him and learn from him. He loves you with an everlasting love. His grace and his mercy has been poured out on you on the cross, as we sang about earlier. He has been faithful to you. His integrity is intact. And the power of the cross is just as powerful right now as it was on the day of resurrection. It's fresh. It's new. It's available to you. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I surrender. I give you my all. I surrender to you, to your call, Lord. And then let's 
Let's get together and let's start moving on. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.